0: dream to build a level of expertise that allows you to quit your job and work as an independent consultant more often than not these kinds of opportunities tend to be on the freelance side where you're paid for your time working on specific outsourced tasks or projects but if you're a seasoned leader or someone with substantial experience such hands-on work might not really be a fit for you what might work instead would be an advisory role where you get to offer the benefit of your vast experience to growing companies at a strategic rather than an executional level. But is this a service anyone wants? And what are the trade-offs and challenges that you need to be prepared for? And most important, are you really cut out for the kind of life such a change would entail? Today we are pleased to have with us Arvind Shankaran, FinTech investor, operator and advisor who will share with us his journey from corporate leader to growth company advisor. But more important, he's going to share with us his learnings over the past seven years of charting his own non-corporate path. But before we begin, a couple of quick reminders. If you like this episode, please do rate it five stars. And please follow the show so you don't miss out on any of the great guests that we have coming up. And if you need a recap after the episode, feel free to head over to crazytalk.online to read the full transcript. So Arvind, thank you so much for joining us today. Maybe before we get going, would you like to give us a brief overview of your past career, your journey as an investor and an advisor so far?
1: Thanks, Amit, for having me on this show. A real pleasure. I'm very happy to see you build out your own portfolio of work. seems like a super exciting set of activities and good luck with that. looking back at my own career like you said seven years ago i stepped away from career as a banker and i had spent the previous uh, 26 years in global banks around asia pacific as well as uh, europe Mm -hmm. and since then i've kind of uh, been active across a set of uh, engagements which actually have uh, brought me pretty closely involved in the fintech a space in Southeast Asia and India. Board Advisor, where I bring my operating experience to help founders grow their ventures and scale. And also as an uh, investor, helping VC firms uh, identify the landscape and pipeline of deals and picking the bets that look pretty interesting. Beyond that, I've also had the opportunity to advise global Uh, corporations as well as consulting firms where they are looking at uh, strategic advice around either building or modernizing their banking technology or providing strategic and operational advice to their clients who are undergoing digital transformation in financial services. So as you can see, it's a portfolio of work that cover operational investment advice as well as being you know, someone who can actually get involved at a fairly a deep level into the execution of some of these uh, new ventures that we are seeing today.
0: So Arvind, first of all, it's a remarkable set of things that you're doing. It, the way you describe it, it's super exciting. And I'm sure a lot of people would love to be doing the kind of stuff that you're working on, especially those with you know, similar kinds of experience who've worked for a long time and have built up a lot of domain knowledge. So. Maybe to get started, we could help them understand how did you get started down this path as an advisor, as an investor, and maybe they could get some lessons from that as well.
1: At the time that I kind of chose to step away from my career as a banker, the world was the proverbial oyster and one could look in many different directions to get started. I knew a few things that I wanted to keep as uh, guiding principles as I built out my own portfolio of work. One was if I was going to provide advice that beyond, of course, it being meaningful and actionable, it was important that I was seen as a source of neutral, independent, trusted, objective advice, Mm -hmm. and that my advice was not tied to any specific outcomes on behalf of a firm that had engaged me. So that was pretty important to me. And that resonated with some of the folks that I initially engaged with. One of the VC firms were well-established in Southeast Asia, India, early in growth investor. In the initial period, actually, we decided that rather than have me appointed as board advisors to a set of portfolio companies, we'd rather arrange for a speed dating between <laughs> myself and five founders who were in their fintech table of uh, investor companies. And actually that made a lot of sense because, you know, Water found its own level. It was an organic process of discovery. You know, my advice would come from an objective place. And what we found was over the course of those weeks that the speed dating happened, you know, three of the founders said, yes, we like what you have to offer and we would like to onboard you. I didn't hear back from the other two. And I think that was good because it was good, honest, organic process. And that actually, helps with the sustainability of these types of advisory engagement.
0: Yeah, and that is a really interesting point, Arvind, because the normal way of doing these things is that quit your job and then you go back to try and work with ex-colleagues, ex-clients, or maybe you just start pitching your services. But in your case, because the service wasn't well-defined, you weren't really trying to pitch a very specific thing like a freelancer might have done it wouldn't really have worked easily in that manner. So the fact that you were able to create this kind of a setup where you just go to founders, have a natural conversation with them, and then they decide whether this whole engagement makes sense is a really good way to get started. And it's also a bit different from what I've heard in the past from other people who've gone solo.
1: One of the things I came to learn very quickly is that the founder's time is absolutely precious. And they don't want pure advice, or as we say in Hindi, Gyan Bazi. I what they need is real executional level kind of engagement, getting into the and among the weeds. And I think it is from that standpoint that you will be able to establish your need in a very real way. And that's when the
0: connect happens, meaningfully. Actually, just to drill down a little bit on the executional element over here, It's not your advisory, the way you're describing it, which I assume to be like an hour a week or maybe a couple of hours a month kind of thing. You're talking about something which is more involved. You really have to understand their business and operations, and I guess that probably takes substantial amount of time.
1: It does, and notionally, at the start of such engagements, you do try and mutually identify how much time is really needed. But in reality, that notion doesn't exist because you've got to operate in the, Time space continuum that the founder and his or her team operate in. So I found myself plugged in at all days of the week and different times based on the need and also attended pitches with clients that they were taking their product to and that revolves around the client's availability. So you have to be agile. I think that kind of uh, really worked well and if, therefore to that extent you have to unlearn some of the routinization that one may have been used to in a corporate previous life.
0: In in fact, the whole movement nowadays around work-life balance talks about compartmentalizing and doing all of that. Whereas what you're saying is that you actually have to be kind of led by the needs of the business. And so therefore it may not be as time-boxed as one would assume. You've spoken to these founders and you started working with them. How did you choose to price your service or your time?
1: This is a super interesting question that you ask and I have myself developed a certain insight and approach to it. Some part of it the approach I think is about my own level of comfort about discussing price. I have initial period found it a bit awkward to actually lay down a price and drive a hard bargain. What I found is a lot more meaningful is just like water finds its own level that the value of the firm attaches to your work, finds its own level, and therefore the price will follow from there. I have typically not kind of laid down terms in very definitive manner. There is a flexible, mutually kind of aware in an approach where depending upon the stage venture is at, what kind of funding do they have, what values attach to my help. I've found that things just kind of naturally kind of find the appropriate shape and size. But one of the things I think is important when one gets into these kind of engagements is to set a definitive value because that ensures that you are serious about it, that uh, both teams are serious about getting together, making that time available and building a cadence to that conversation. But I've not operated with any minimums or Any such thing. In fact, to be honest, uh, one of the ventures that I advised very, very early on, probably six years ago, was a pre series A, very early stage venture, and they didn't have funding. They were going to go for a round of funding six months from there. And so the problem they were solving was super interesting, and it was like directly spoke to my operational experience. Mm -hmm. So we actually agreed on $1,500 per month. And honestly, as a number that really is insignificant, but for me, it was an opportunity to actually professionally expand my horizons, go deep with the founder and his team into solving a problem I thought was
0: super pain point for bank. So this is good to know, Arvind, because I'm 100% sure that everybody who ventures out on their own struggles to price their service. See, it's one thing if you're selling a product, it feels like a bit of an arm's length discussion. You're talking about the value of the product. But in this case, you're talking about the value of yourself almost. And so it's a very uncomfortable discussion to have. And you found an elegant way around it, which is to figure out what value you can add, ensure that there's a need for what you're doing. And then eventually the founders themselves work out something that makes sense based on the value that they're getting. And I also like that you didn't shy away from like a small number at some point knowing that if you're continuing to give value it will eventually work itself out
1: what i found is these things kind of start connecting to each other and build a kind of pattern of work and value that you establish and in the case of the vc firm that i was engaged with in the early days that was a fantastic opportunity for me to plug into fintech because back then in 2015 We were just getting going in Singapore, where Mm -hmm. MAS had established the Chief fintech Officer's role as well as $250 million innovation fund. There were, I think, barely 100 startups back then, but that creates a pattern of work. So even with this firm, after spending initially some time working directly with a set of portfolio companies, there came a time when it all added up and I was actually kind of asked if I could join formally in the role of a venture partner at the firm level. So none of this was planned. But I think you've got to start somewhere and really show that you can add value and things happen.
0: Actually, that's a good segue into the other question I was going to ask, which is how do you grow your advisory or your consulting?
1: That's a, another great question because when one steps into different stage of your career where you are essentially reinventing yourself and you're having to bootstrap and build your own book of work, how much time do you spend in sales and business development versus actual rolling up your sleeves and doing the The advisory work is a tricky one. And what I have come to learn is that doors open other doors. And it is about time in the market. And I'm borrowing a phrase that we used to advise our wealth management clients in my previous life when it comes to investments. So what I did find is positive word of mouth on good work spreads. And the so-called gestation period, if you're looking for it to turn into a sustainable portfolio of work, that stays with you over multiple years and which helps you devote most of your time actually providing that value add or getting into the deeper end of the advisory work rather than spending time chasing deals. That gestation period in my mind takes around two or two plus years minimum, where you find that the flywheel, your own flywheel of work actually begins to get that momentum. At at the heart of it, what I've come to realize is that rather than sell myself, I'd rather have people advocate for me. Therefore, if I just stay focused on providing real value, the advocacy will follow. And that's the best way of sustaining your portfolio work. And in some cases, it has meant kind of staying super focused on on the problem that the client or the founder is trying to solve. And it could even mean that you don't talk about a contractual relationship for even as long as six months. In one case, founder and I rolled up our sleeve. They were at an early stage. They were building something super interesting. And a lot of it was around building the risk management side of things in terms of collection infrastructure and loss provisioning and all of that. And I had done, so we just spent time working through all of that when, and six months were gone. And the founder said, this is now getting awkward because we haven't talked terms. So here's the deal. And he just wrote up the deal on one page and we just signed and it was not insignificant so that's how it's worked for me
0: again i think this approach is a good one in a nutshell what you're doing is you start off with a small group of clients somehow which in your case was by a a venture firm and then add value to them to a point where they start wanting to pay you something commensurate with that value and then if you do that for an extended period of time, when you're saying roughly two years, two and a half years or so, you're in the market for long enough for word to spread about what it is that you do. And then people, because you're doing a good job, they advocate for you. And then you get more and more inbound requests. And so therefore, you may never have to spend time trying to sell yourself if that's not something that you're excited about. So this is a good approach to this whole problem that I'm sure a lot of people have, which is how do I sell my services. Most people don't like doing
1: it. In the end, one of the things that folks who are looking to kind of reinvent themselves and build their next thing is you want to aim for longevity and also helps redefine yourself clearly because you actually in a way and borrowing again from the startup world, you actually find your product market fit. The marketplace begins to understand what you are truly offering in terms of value and then actually You start seeing inbound requests coming in because that's when you know that actually good idea about what is it that I bring to the table.
0: So this is great, Arvind. You've been doing this now for, well, seven years. So I'm sure you've learnt a lot of stuff and more importantly, I'm sure there are people who come to you from time to time with similar amounts of experience wondering whether they can make a similar transition to what you've done. So what are some of the things you tell such people?
1: It is not an easy kind of transition and that's the reason why folks like myself back then as a middle-level executive with a good career and making a choice to actually do something else I can relate to how difficult it must be and honestly one can make whatever choice I do believe that you must make the choice that fits your personality and your circumstance and what you see for yourself. I think that's the most important thing nobody else can make the choice. But over the last six, seven years that I've been kind of in this new stage of my professional career, I have thinking about the same thing and appear to be on the same crossroads. And I have initially been guarded about offering advice because this is a very personal thing. And uh, there is no one kind of who can claim to have the wisdom that can be easily applicable to everybody. So with that disclaimer, I have provided advice as recently as two days ago. I spoke to someone who was looking to kind of an evaluating that chain. I've kind of been able to synthesize what I have learned into a few different thoughts. Maybe I'll share that. And this is in some sense a playbook or a, you know, things that you've got to think about as you kind of embark on this journey. The first one, of course, is you're still the question. So, do you want to remain in a safe harbor or sail the stormy seas? So I think that is a very important question to ask about what you want to do because and again there is no judging many of us value the security of where we are and even if there are challenges and kind of disenchantments, safe harbor in many other ways may be a viable choice but if you truly are at that stage where you want to set sail then you have to be different doesn't have to necessarily be stormy, but it will be different. And that that difference or, or that unpredictability to some extent is something that you'll have to be comfortable with. So that is the first thing I always kind of talk to folks about. The second thing, I advise them to burn their CV.
0: You've only spent 25 years building up that CV, so why not burn it now?
1: Exactly. I mean, so I do have that physical look from folks when I say burn your CV because in the new world that one steps into, and when I say new world, I mean, where you're gonna professionally reinvent yourself and you're gonna work on new ideas, new technologies, new business models. The world is not a linear chronological place. And whereas our CVs have been a historical chronological kind of description of what we have achieved over the previous whatever, 10, 20 years. And what you really need to do is to distill one or two things that you are really good at. Remove all corporate language, but really get it down to what's that one or two things that you're good at. And you should be able to talk about yourself literally a minute's elevator pitch. And I think that is super important to burn your CV and redefine yourself.
0: And that must be a struggle, right? Because most people who worked for a length of time are used to describing themselves in terms of where they were. So I am vice president at XYZ Bank versus saying something like, I am able to XYZ or I'm good at something, something.
1: Absolutely. If you've been used kind of defined role in an organizational setup, and that's how you always introduce yourself, then if you're going to burn your CV and you're going to have to describe yourself in one or two words, what's that going to be? It's hard to find that new hashtag, so speak. But that leads me to my next thing that I speak to folks who are looking for, some counsel is, is I ask them to look in the mirror, metaphorically, of course. Means is, you've got to ask yourself the question, are you really up for this, if you want to make the transition? Because I do find, and I've been guilty of that as well, which is to talk about doing something but sitting in the armchair for some period of time. So you, you need to really ask yourself, does it sit well with you? Are you comfortable in your own skin and that you can deal with any questions that come along, all well-intentioned questions from friends, family, and the extended circle about how you're coming along in your new avatar and have things worked for you or not. And those questions will be there in the coming months. So you have to look in the mirror and ask yourself that. Even a social angle to it, many of the folks who might be listening into this show who have taken their career to different countries, are living in a different culture, often live the expat lifestyle are working in those small communities and diaspora and often socialize with them. Therefore, having to make this change, bold change as it may be seen, and having to still stay among your friends in a social circle and be able to look them in the eye and say that I'm moving forward every day, even if it may not be visible in a conventional way, is not easy, so hence, therefore, I think it's important to look in the mirror and really try and understand who you are and whether you're up for it. The next thing for me became evident when I chose to make the change was to to do the math. And I think it's an obvious thing. We need to look at what the cash burn is going to be during this period of time that you're pivoting your professional career. In my case, my wife is a lawyer. So we knew we had, we would be down from two salary checks to one salary check. But nevertheless, I think one needs to do the math and look at the goals that you're saving towards and whether you are providing enough for that and you still have risk capital that you can invest in pivoting yourself.
0: Yeah, and there's an opportunity cost here also because of the loss of income on one side. It might seem like an obvious point, but it's a very important point, which is you need to be able to sustain yourself while you figure out what you want to do.
1: And uh, operating uh, costs are not exactly cheap in uh, overseas locations. And we talk about Singapore and Hong Kong and all of that. I've lived in those countries and uh, it's not cheap. So I think it's very important to do the math. The next thing that I found pretty uh, evocative uh, when I talk about it with folks who are looking for advice is to be your own founder. Because if you think about it, at least for myself, I can say that back in the day when I had a corporate career, while ever grateful, for all the opportunities. And it made me who I am professionally and enjoyed working in all the organizations that I've been in. But I think over time as work becomes crazy and on the treadmill, you do lose yourself. You lose yourself in multiple ways. You lose the connect with friends and family in a qualitative sense. You lose the connect with new ideas, new technologies and really refreshing your knowledge base. And in many other ways, you do lose touch with your creative self in a sense that you can't really find the time in the back to do all of that. But when you're in this mode, you need to be reconnected with all of that. If you're gonna be your own founder, because arguably, if you lost yourself earlier on, you have found yourself now in this new transition. And therefore, you've got to do the hard work. You are starting with a new baseline. In essence, you're a nobody. A risk capital and an opportunity cost, you can call it either. And you've got to make the best out of it. So if it means pitching hard, eating humble pie, going to former colleagues and usually working with folks in organizations, many levels, junior to what you may have been in the past, facing rejection. And also one of the things that people tell me, they've also experienced this is your pipeline of business will come from unexpected places and therefore strangers become friends and in some cases vice versa. So I think that be your founder is a very important kind of thing to be prepared for. And the flip side of this is there is that all of this lines up against. And so you need to be prepared to ride your own J-curve as startups do. There will be a moment where you might think about the idea of getting back. There's no judging again. It, you know, Many folks have gotten back and reconnected very well and are happy for it. But there is that moment and therefore support that you can get is important. And there will be some assumption that may not actually work out. You might have started out with the wrong set of assumptions when you do the math and then things present themselves. But there is a j-curve. So be your founder and ride your own j-curve. Be prepared for that is uh, something that I advise folks.
0: So does it mean that in that case the moment you quit you should be like sprinting as hard as you can trying to make it work in a very short time so you can then be comfortable with what's going to happen in future?
1: That's a great question you asked because myself felt that way in the early days when I made the change is that if I printed really hard, if I worked three shifts and weekends, actually there isn't really, at least in my case, back to our point that we spoke about earlier about time in the market, there's a certain cycle that it takes and therefore it is better to be kind to yourself. The catchy phrase that I've used with some of my folks who have spoken to me is to be kind and unwind. You're unlikely you're gonna kind of nail it in three months. And if you do, I'd be the happiest. There are folks who have done it, but chances are if you pace yourself out and kind of manage your expectations upfront and plan it out and know that you're making progress every day, even if it may not be visible, and there'll be four seasons in one day, philosophically speaking. But you have to find the time since you have now found yourself in your previous corporate life. So you have to make the time to smell the roses, and spend time with the family, reconnect with yourself, you will be able to do that. Those are sources of tremendous reserves of mental strength that you will find accumulating as you go through this initial stage.
0: Essentially, you're saying that quit your job only so that you can kind of reset the person that you are, discover yourself, do all those things that you sacrificed because you were trying to make a career happen. And it would be quite a shame if after that in your new avatar you end up becoming your old avatar just in a different way and plus what you're saying also is crucial here which is any case it's unlikely that you're going to start seeing extraordinary results in three months even if you push hard you still need some amount of time in the market for people to find you for people to talk about you for you to have an opportunity to deliver something to someone so you can prove what you're capable of and so if you just rush all of this stuff, you're going to be similarly unhappy, just in a different environment.
1: That would be a good thing to do, to have really made the bold and courageous step to kind of pivot yourself and go in the direction that you want to, but then end up creating a new hamster wheel for yourself kind of defeats the purpose. One of the things that when you kind of provide that space for yourself is you will find your mojo. Reconnect with some of their passions that they may have dropped along the way. And I know that I did back when I was in a corporate kind of existence, somehow you always kind of uh, settled for the notion that there was no time. And maybe it was true to a large extent, but I think it just became a wall behind which you really didn't reconnect with things. Now's the time to find something, you know, whether it's music, whether it is art that you uh, used to do, you know, make the time for it, because it does fuel you in ways that are amazing and it builds your confidence it builds your mental strength you're able to take rejection or disappointments better you also realize that you're not defined just by your work there was a point in time perhaps early on when you were not defined by your work you were actually defined by your talent right. and it's time to bring that back out there and you'll find it taking you to places i mean one of the things i can share with you are, you know tennis used to be a passion for me, it's still a passion and my whole family, we're all tennis-crazy, Try to be at Wimbledon or Aussie Open or wherever we can be, we can. So the first gig that I actually jumped on when I left the banking career was actually in sports marketing because I had a random meeting with wonderful Vijay Amritraj. Socially, we're connected and Vijay was looking to kind of create a sports marketing venture here in Asia and he said, you're an ex-banker, I'm a, like a sports guy. Shall we just join hands? And So actually, truth be told, that was my first startup. Actually registered a company here in Singapore, and we actually went out and pitched the hell out of all the private banks to write a check so that it could fund a very interesting tennis and golf legends program that we could bring out to this part of the world. Six months later, of course, we figured that our timing was probably not that great because back then sponsors were hurting and we couldn't find that sustainable business commercial model to back our idea.
0: That's actually a valuable side lesson in itself, which is even if you have a great idea, sometimes the timing is off. So everything else might be there, it's just, it's not its time.
1: Often when I think about it, you know, one of the things I say jokingly, half jokingly, but probably half seriously is Over time, it's been a series of fortunate uh, accidents or fortunate uh, coincidences or events that have kind of come together and just kind of uh, helped me with my own personal journey and to have arrived where I am. And there's still work in progress and hope for something to happen. It may just not happen. So it's funny life. Life is funny. A couple of other things that I've spoken about, finding your mojo, the flip side of it is to see if you can unlock one of them and really achieve its fullest potential. Often we folks have good talents, everybody has a bunch of talents. It's just that time, circumstance, lack of confidence, whatever it is has not helped us maximize it. Here's a chance actually you might be able to take something to a level that you didn't dream of. And for me personally, one of the things that I've probably derived the most satisfaction from my own journey is music. And uh, I had left music back in the campus after having started up a, a college rock band and you would know that. And we've played together, Joka Bandstand alumni. And when I you know, moved away from my banking career, I found more time to actually be able to plug into how our band was progressing and be able to support how we could do our next concert. And so here we are, a bunch of middle-aged lawyers, bankers, techies, who kind of <laughs> launched a rock band called Bandwidth in Singapore. And we've played with the last 10, 15 years. And uh, it's just, an amazing feeling to be on stage, playing your heart out, having a bunch of folks listen to you and cheer you on. So so yeah, everybody has a talent. We are no different from each other and here's an opportunity actually to make the time and unlock.
0: For anyone who is looking at moving away from their corporate job and intending to do something on their own, I think these are all excellent things to be aware of and plan for before kind of jumping into this whole thing. Because I think what you've outlined here in summary is like a two sides of the coin. There's a lot of good things happening, which is you get to live your own life. You get to rediscover yourself, reconnect with your passions, take some time to get things done versus operating on somebody else's timeline. But on the other hand, you have to know that you're going to face rejection. You aren't going to be able to ride on the brand that you were part of earlier. So I think there's the positive and the, well, the downsides of the things to plan for. And these are all things I'm so happy you outlined because these are things people should definitely think about before they take the plunge.
1: This is really a reality-based, I guess, the sharing where a lot of good things and there are also things that you got to be prepared for. I mean, once you've made the decision, that's, I would say, more than half of the inner battle won what comes ahead is really to how you kind of move forward and believe in yourself and take help from folks around one thing that i'd say goes to the heart of the success of these kind of transitions is the person in your life who will be your rock and in my case my wife Neela, who's been an absolute rock through this transition because like i said when has to make such a significant personal decision to transition out of what is seemingly you know very uh, stable existence it is super important that you have a person in your life who believes and yeah. has complete faith and is willing to back you up so ever grateful to my wife who's been a rock in this journey and i would say that's important for anyone you recognize and value that support in your life
0: yeah exactly and it's uh, like you said, I mean, if this is all about your journey as a, within quotes, founder, this person is going to be your co-founder, essentially, to keep you.
1: Exactly. I think that's a great way of putting it, Amit. Really, co-founder, I'd say even co-pilot, Yeah. You know, because it is, you are going to achieve altitude and there are going to be clouds along the way.
0: <laughs> so Arvind, thank you so much for sharing all of this. If I might just summarize in about a minute or so. So first is how you get started and your approach was to find a way to provide value. So it's not so much about, here's my service, now who wants to pay me X amount for it? Your approach was to, I mean, you of course, worked with a firm and then found a bunch of founders to work with, but essentially the essence of this was, look for people who will value your advice and then work with them in a manner where you justify the time that they're committing to you. And by doing that, you unlock A lot of other good things which is become known in the market your customers or your people you're working with become your advocates you don't have to spend so much time trying to sell yourself you don't even have to spend much time pricing yourself because if you are adding value anybody can see that and they'll give you something that's commensurate with all of that and all of this stuff seems to take something in the range of maybe two to three years for this whole wheel to kind of start turning Subsequent to that, you also shared your lessons for people who are trying to make this transition. And they were really good ones, so I'm just going to go through them quickly once again. So one is, understand for yourself whether you're the type who prefers safety or do you prefer adventure, safe harbor or stormy seas. And you need to be comfortable with the concept of stormy seas. The second is burning your CV because what you did in the past in a linear fashion won't count in future. You're trying to be of value to someone. So you need to be able to communicate your value, not your history. Third point was looking in the mirror. So are you really going to be able to handle all of this uncertainty, handle explaining yourself to people who you know, handle not having the name brand behind you and just being your own person? Fourth was doing the math. So make sure that you actually have the wherewithal to sustain this till such time as that wheel starts turning and making things happen. Be your own founder. Act like how startup founders would have to act, which is you have to go and actually make things happen. You have to be humble. Maybe there were people who were three, four levels junior to you in the in your past life, but now they are going to be the people who are going to give you work. So you have to be able to work with them. Next point was around writing your own J-curve. So this whole process can be quite a bit of a downer, I guess, initially. And so it is possible that in three or six months, you'll be questioning your life choices and thinking about whether you should get back. But if you've done the thinking in advance, then you will be able to ride out that valley of death. The next point you made was around unwinding and being kind to yourself. If you've taken all the trouble to leave a certain environment to rediscover yourself, don't recreate that hamster wheel once again. Related to that was finding your mojo. So if you had a certain passion area in the past, rediscover that, do it again. And in fact, apart from the enjoyment you get from it, it will also actually fuel your work itself because it helps you de-stress in one area so that you can take the heavy lifting in the actual work area. Next point you made was around bandwidth. And I think you said that we make excuses around not having enough time, but in reality, there is plenty of time. We just use it inefficiently, and especially at work when you have meetings and presentations and calls and stuff like that, and probably office politics also, it's a lot of time is just consumed in that busy work kind of stuff. And maybe now you'll actually be able to deliver things much more efficiently. And the last point you made at the end was about finding your rock, which is to have someone in your life who believes in you, who supports this whole mission, and is going to be there for your good times and at least your initial bad times and they're kind of going to give you the push that you need. So thank you so much, Arvind. This is a lot of good knowledge and experiential learning compressed into 30 minutes.
1: Thanks for having me once again on the show. It's a pleasure to share my own little playbook of life that I've kind of come to develop. And hopefully it's of some use to your listeners out there. So thanks once again for giving me the chance to share my own journey.
0: Thank you once again, Arvind, for joining us today. And for those listening, please do remember to rate this episode five stars. It was definitely a five-star episode. So go ahead and click that. And do follow our show so that you don't miss any of the excellent episodes we have coming up. So once again, thank you for joining us today. We were Arvind and Amit with Shop Talk. See you next time.